Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the Roald Dahl Retrospective, where we take a look at adaptations on Roald Dahl shorts and books. I am Patricia. And my name is Aaron. So last time we discussed about the Disney stop-motion animated film, James and the Giant Peach. And today we're going to be discussing about another Roald Dahl adaptation that literally came out about a few months later on July of 1996. We're going to be talking about Matilda, which was based off of the 1988 novel of the same name. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, this uh, movie that we're going to talk about, I have to say, it's, uh, it takes a lot of inspiration from various sources. And uh, also it is uh, uh, Danny DeVito also uh, directs, uh, narrates, and even stars as one of the antagonists in this movie. So uh, he's got plenty of involvement in this project. Yeah. And uh, even though that he has directed a lot of movies uh, before and after Matilda, this is currently the only one he's directed that is a children's movie. He's mostly stuck to adult movies, either from PG-13 all the way to rated R. So this is something completely new to him. And uh, from what I've seen, you know, he did a really good job at it. Yeah, but in a way, it kind of shows as well, because uh, if you notice, uh, there's a lot of dark elements in this. And uh, also there's, um, there's a lot of like uh, uh, quite a sad moments as well. And uh, I mean, you can get a bit grim in some places in a way. But uh, then also on top of that as well, it makes up for the, it, it doesn't lose its sense of fun in that as well. And so there's, uh, yeah, there's a lot to discuss. Absolutely. In this. Yeah. So uh, with that out of the way, let's get started. Here we go. So yeah, there's an interesting history behind Matilda. So very similar to other uh, adaptations of Roald Dahl after his death, Lissy Dahl was involved in the movie, handpicking various people to write and produce the movie. So the screenwriters for the movie were Nicholas Kazan and Robin uh, Suicord, uh, the latter of which actually wrote uh, various screenplays for movies, such as The Curious Case of Benjamin Button and Memoirs of a Geisha. So they worked together on writing a script that Lissy Dull and the Dull family would be really satisfied with, and any changes had to be going directly towards the family. And so after they were done writing the script, there was a huge auction that was going on on who was going to be the one to produce the movie, and everybody wanted to get a piece of it. And eventually TriStar won by um, auctioning it for $4 million. And so when the movie came out in 1996, very similar to James and the Giant Peach, it was a financial failure. It only made $33 million out of a $36 million budget. However, unlike James and the Giant Peach, Matilda actually doubled its budget when it was released overseas and with multiple TV and uh, DVD releases and VHS releases, a lot more people started to see Matilda. And even still to this day, next to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, Matilda is the what many people consider to be the best Roald Dahl adaptation. 
I think that's one of the great things about children's movies is that I think it has a lot of replayability, I think, after its initial launch. So, um, I mean, how many times have we actually been through Disney movies where, you know, obviously kids have uh, thoroughly enjoyed them and then after that they go on VHS or go on DVD and all of a sudden they just become, you know, uh, classics on the shelves pretty much where basically they will get pulled off time and time and time again and just keep getting replayed. And uh, I guess that's one of the benefits I think Matilda has, one of the advantages it has being uh, advertised as, uh, you know, a, f a family-friendly movie. In a, in a, and so it will obviously be there for when the kids are bored or, like, uh, even then after the kids have their own kids, obviously that'll be there too. So mm -hmm. like, uh, it's, it's, it's something that's going to be around with us for a very long time, I think, Matilda. Probably. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, I actually released a poll before we started doing James and the Giant Peach because the four big movies that were going to be coming out were um, James and the Giant Peach, Matilda, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and Fantastic Mr. Fox. So according to the polls out of the four movies, Matilda won by a landslide. Fantastic Mr. Fox came slightly close, but James and the Giant Peach was demolished, and so was Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Everybody was looking forward to us talking about Matilda. Maybe it was uh, in the hopes that uh, maybe Mara Wilson might turn up. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she, she's, she's going through a bit of traffic, so she couldn't be with us today. So. Right, right. Anyway, so uh, very similar to what you did, Aaron, in which you were looking up like, oh, man, you're like Matilda didn't do very well in the theaters. Like, for some people, they're like, but Matilda's a classic. Why is that? Well, I decided to look up some movies that came out in August of 1996. Uh, I, I said July, I meant August, sorry. But yeah, <laughs> these are the movies that came out in 1996. It came out on the 2nd of August. So it came out around the same month as Emma, Chain Reaction, Basquiat, Jack, John Carpenter's Escape from L.A., House Arrest, Alaska, The Fan, Shine, Tin Cup, uh, Tin Cup Bordello of Blood, Waiting for Guffman, Freeway, The Island of Dr. Moreau, She's the One, the Crow City of Angels, Pusher, First Kid, and Sling Blade. So, yeah, I mean... So basically, the, it was the victim of a saturated market of other movies that were also out there, which uh, also had recognizable people in it, and uh, obviously were vain for, uh, for, for people's eyeballs. So, yeah, pretty much. Oh. So, I mean, we have Jack, you know, which was done, which was starring Robin Williams, where he plays as a 10-year-old in a 40-year-old man's body. We have the sequel to Escape from New York with Escape from L.A. And uh, let's see, I, I guess, and, you know, uh, Insequential, um, and also various other movies. So, yeah, I mean, P Matilda just so happened to be, like, sandwiched in, be you know, between movies that a lot of people were looking forward to watching. And, you know, very similar to James and the Giant Peach, I guess Matilda wasn't, like, you know, really well known in, like, various libraries and books, because I knew people who saw the movie before they read the book. Well, at least it wasn't banned like James of the Giant Peach was. So, That's true, like, yeah. It yeah. wasn't banned because it's nowhere near as, like, gruesome or have any um, whiskey references or swearing or anything like that. So, yeah. Yeah, anyway. it just uh, has uh, Mario Wilson doing witchcraft. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Sure. Anyway. <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, so let's get things started. So um, I am actually curious about what your personal thoughts are of Danny DeVito being our narrator as well as being Mr. Wormwood. 
Um, well, obviously he's multi-talented, so we can obviously give him that. So, I mean, like, uh, my first, um, I mean, last time I remember Danny DeVito, I think at that time, was probably Mars Attacks, mm. I think probably. And uh, so, I mean, obviously I saw that movie and I thought, oh, he's just kind of like that one-dimensional kind of swami kind of guy. I thought, like, uh, you know, it's, uh, I didn't think uh, Danny DeVito could kind of like uh, emote any more than that. But no, he can uh, really... Uh, get us uh, drawn in uh, with his direction and his narration and also him being on the screen too. So it, it, this is one thing I, I guess maybe out of all the stuff that Danny DeVito has done over the years, maybe Matilda is probably his best, maybe one of his best works because he's obviously so he can demonstrate how talented he can be. You know, it's, it's kind of like how um, Tommy Wiseau wanted to kind of like demonstrate how he could direct, how he could act and how he could obviously do all the you know, story elements of that. And obviously we know what happened with the room <laughs> when, yeah, when, yes. when that happened. But Danny DeVito can show that he can do all these elements right and he can obviously please all the people doing it. And, it uh, absolutely. In fact, if you remember a few months ago where he was interviewed by GQ and he was talking about like, you know, his all-time most well-known roles, like varying from Taxi to It's Sunny in Philadelphia... Um, and a whole bunch of other movies. Matilda was one that he was personally proud of. First of all, his, you know, he read the book to his kids when they were young. And also, uh, you know, he wanted to, um, you know, include his wife into the movie at the time, Rhea Perlman, who also plays as Mrs. Wormwood. And he, I mean, you know, he brought in a lot of people that he knew personally from previous movies into the, um, into Matilda, who we'll talk about a little later on. And also, uh, you know, he, uh, you know, he wanted to have fun with it. And you can definitely tell that he had a blast with, um, you know, doing Matilda, whether it be directing or whether it be um, um, acting as Mr. Wormwood, where he's so mean and over the top and, you know, his narration. Although personally for me, I'm not too keen on the narration because it's like he plays such a major role in the movie that, you know, you have him being angry and mean to juxtapose between him being like very sympathetic to Matilda. I mean, I can understand for Pete Postlewaite from James and the Giant Peach in which he was barely in the movie and he served as a narrator for like little bits at a time. And even with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which we'll talk about next month, where, you know, we had one of the Oompa Loompas being the narrator and, you know, basically talking about what happened to Charlie and how he eventually, you know, took over the chocolate factory. So those parts make sense. And as mentioned, tell a story for you. <laughs> wrong, wrong movie. It's more like, uh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I, I th but yeah. Um, <clears throat> give me. But uh, as for, you know, Danny DeVito with his directing and his acting, I mean, he does a pretty good job. I mean, we were talking when we were, like, seeing through parts of the movie about, like, the camera angles and the way that the scenes were shot. It was done very well. Yeah, and uh, the one thing I definitely liked about um, the way that the story was told is that, you know, when it wanted to be funny, it could be funny. And uh, when the scenes showed, you know, the, the one thing I liked about Danny DeVito's um, direction was the use of dark elements. And I mean, I'm not talking about like dark elements as in like, you know, murder or anything like that. I'm talking about like uh, the, the, the amount of shadowing and the amount of, uh, you know, the lack of light that was in like the, the whole world. And uh, it shows Matilda like in, in quite a, quite a dark kind of gringy world in a way, like, uh, you know, when she's been locked up in the chokey or like uh, when she's been, uh, 
you know, are subjected to television uh, in, in, in that scene. And uh, obviously then it uh, shows how she's kind of like going through kind of a bit of a crisis when she's lying up in bed about what she's going to do. Uh, with the situation that she's in, so it uses the it uses the dark very effectively, and then there's the other elements that it also uses very well is that I pointed out in uh, the commentary, which you can listen to, is um, the amount of shots that show uh, Mara Wilson basically being this small little girl in this huge world. And uh, just these huge scary elements that are around her, and uh, in in some cases she's nonplussed by them, but then in other times uh, she's actually is quite intimidated and uh, is not too sure what to do, except she's gonna go with the flow, if mm-hmm. you will. She's like uh, she's in Indiana Jones going through like a temple of doom, you know, like uh, just it's uh, it's it's to her it's just it's a it's a big adventure. Uh, her being like out in the world, and uh, and yeah, you know, I think it would be a very big adventure for any little girl who would go out in that type of circumstance. So right. yeah, you know, like the, these, um, the visual elements on the screen are very, are very telling of the story that Danny DeVito wanted to tell of Matilda, and uh, so I can definitely say that he got that completely right, right. when uh, when you get that. You, you're drawn, you're drawn into the scene as uh, it all plays out in front of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so very similar to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory and James and the Giant Peach and Fantastic Mr. Fox, there are a lot of creative liberties in Matilda. First of all, it's mostly Americanized, very similar to The Witches, in which we have the whole setting taking place in a suburban American you know, town as opposed to being in a small little suburban area in England. And we have the introduction of Mr. and Mrs. Wormwood. What if you if you read in the original book, Mrs. Wormwood is described as this very heavy set woman with a whole bunch of curls and makeup and all that kind of stuff. And then Harry Wormwood is this very skinny man with a um, tiny thin mustache and very slicked back hair. So because we have Danny DeVito and Rhea Perlman, they decided to swap body roles in which you have Harry Wormwood, who's like a heavy-set balding man, but he has the slick back hair and the thin mustache. And Mrs. Wormwood, who's very, you know, very tall and skinny, but with the, the tons of, you know, curls and the makeup. So, they, uh, obvi- and then there's obviously, you know, we have Michael, who's the older son and Matilda's older brother. In the book, he's very, very quiet, and he's the most normal out of everybody. He practically says nothing. But in here, they decided to make him an antagonist to continue the offset that Matilda is not liked by her parents whatsoever. Yeah, I, I just think that in the characters that we have portrayed in the movie, I mean, obviously the whole thing is Americanized, no doubt about that. And uh, I mean, to be honest with you, the fact that you had Danny DeVito as the lead antagonist, or well, not the lead antagonist, but uh, as one of them, and uh, the other uh, type of elements that are currently going on the screen, you know, him being like a, a used car salesman, which usually is kind of like, uh, so something that seems to gravitate towards um you know an american caricature if you will and uh, then you had obviously um many american actors that were going to be and actresses who were going to be taking place in this i mean it was it was going to be a big a, a big stretch to kind of say well, let's keep this in england when there's so many other things that seem to be going for it so i mean i don't blame them for going the direction that that they are the one thing i definitely will say is about in regards to the way that it's uh, portrayed is the uh, 
it's the is the is the advertisement that's actually inside the movie. If you if you look, there's actually Budweisers and Bud Light and uh, other things that are in there too. But um, if you notice that, uh, it's actually the uh, antagonists and actually the the bad guys of the movie who seem to be using the products rather than our protagonist. Yeah, you know, I, I like think the it. only time in which we do see that is material uh, is is Matilda when she's uh, you know testing out her powers over a box of Cheerios, but that's pretty much it. Yeah, but like, uh, I mean, if anything, she's doing more time like promoting books than she is actually kind of like promoting products. In and that's that true. Market. Yeah, right. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, we haven't seen this much product placement in a movie since Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. At least in the world of retrospective, yeah. I mean, like, uh, I'm pretty sure we can pull out another movie and see a lot of, like, uh, different, like, uh, you know, product placements and stuff. But, uh, right. um, but the one thing I'll definitely say is that, I mean, they're not overly distracting. Uh, distracting. I mean, obviously, there's still a story to go through, and that kind of keeps you cultivated in it. But, uh, yeah, I would say it's, um, it's not at the point where it's going to just take you away from everything that's going on. I mean, you're aware that there's a girl called Matilda who has these you know, magical powers and uh, that she's in a really horrible family that uh, she wants to get me a revenge on and stuff like that. You know, you're thinking about it, it's kind of like a bit of a, a, bit of a toned down version of Yu-Gi-Oh when you really think about it. Like, it's just, it's, uh, you know, like, it's, it's, uh, it's not like there's like an ancient Egyptian spirit that seems to want to get revenge on people and stuff like that every time, you know, they wrong Mara Wilson. No, no. I would admit that would make the film more funny, but uh, I don't think that's going to happen. But uh, yeah, just going back into um, the the whole world that Matilda finds herself in. Obviously, she has to deal with her awful family. She has to deal, obviously, with the school, and obviously, we'll move on to Miss Trunchbull, no, no doubt, soon. And uh, then she basically has to deal with uh, the fact that she has to deal with Miss Honey's um, uh, dilemma as well of like Miss Trunchbull being in her in her family home. And yeah. so, but, uh, you know, the, the the visuals on the screen do not disappoint, in my opinion. I think it's done correct the way, at least, uh, you know, dare I say it's even goes, I always say Tim Burton would even kind of like approve of some of the things that are currently going on as well. Yes. Oh, and, and speaking of Tim Burton, if you notice some of the casting of the movie, so we have Paul Rubens and uh, we have Tracy Walger as the cops. And as you guys know, Paul Rubens also played as the Penguin's father in Batman Returns. Danny DeVito was the penguin and he and Tracy Walger was Bob the goon in the original Timber and Batman. So there's actually a bit of a Batman connection in Matilda. Mm -hmm. So I think that uh, I what Matilda. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah, but um yeah, I just think it's uh, I mean again it's uh, it goes back to man, it goes back to our debate we had in our uh, you know in the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory uh, uh, retrospective where we talked about like uh, you know the the, ra the ragtag gang of uh, you know people who appear in movies under certain directors and kind of like know each other and stuff. Like, uh, and, yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Uh, we we, yeah. we won't be releasing that episode until next month, but Aaron and I did discuss about about how some directors they tend to use the same people in their um you know in their lineup over and over and over again so you'll hear more details about that when we get to charlie and the chocolate factory yeah so, i mean so in some circumstances i mean like uh, one example i used in that episode was uh the cooking episode was uh, quentin tarantino how he seems to use samuel L. jackson constantly over and over in some places which is good for some places but then you get to the jump the shot moment where you have uh, samuel L. jackson laughing maniacally on screen while he's getting oral sex so like uh, yeah there's times where it kind of like goes a bit too far yeah i mean like 
you know, other examples include Kevin Smith, who always seems to have Matt Damon or Ben Affleck in his movies, or Jason Mewes. Then there's also um, various um, other actors as well. Um, Rob Zombie is another example where he always uses Sid Haig or uh, Robert oh, Mosley yeah. <laughs> or his wife. <laughs> But um, yeah, I just think, uh, but you know, I'm a fan of that. You know, like uh, as long as the movie turns out good, you know, I don't really care what actors they use. To be right. with you. Yeah. And Danny DeVito was uh, no exception because in a movie that he would direct a few years later, Death to Smoochie, he casted Pam Ferris as uh, one of the lead actresses in the movie. But um, that's a story for another time. <laughs> so, yeah, so going into Matilda. It, it goes pretty similar to the book in which Matilda, when she was born, she had amazing talents and she was able to um, take care of herself when her father would be going to work, her mother would be going to play bingo and her brother would be going to school and she would go to the library back and forth every day and read all the children's books in the library and then she moved over to the adult books and you know, as time went on, she grew more and more intelligent and she had a love and fascination for reading. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, just it's um, the, the one thing that uh, appears in Matilda is obviously the reading aspect of it all. Like uh, the fact that uh, Matilda get, you know, intelligence gains so much that uh, she moves away from like the children's materials. She moves into like, you know, the adult material and everything like that. And, uh, you know, like, one of the great things I liked, I liked about the movie was uh, that uh, she struck up this friendship with the, uh, the this uh, you know, the old librarian who uh, takes some interest in her and uh, obviously wants to further her intellect. And yeah, that. and uh, I always would like to have like seen like an episode of Hey Arnold where uh, Helga would have like gone into a library and befriended like a library an old librarian and uh, she would have, like furthered like her uh, and uh, her uh, you know uh, her her ability to kind of like you know identify art and things like that. You know? so, hmm, like, that would have been really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, that would have been interesting. Like maybe there's a poetry contest and El and Helga wants to join in on it and the librarian is like encouraging her. It's like, oh, I thought that your poem was really nice and you should do more of it. And yeah, I think that would have been really interesting to see that. It was more kind of like, you know, hey, read this book, read that book, you know, like, uh, hey, you might get some inspiration from this and that and the other. And, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Read Robert Frost, uh, read... Uh, Emily Dickinson, read uh, all, you know, all these other famous poets, uh, you know, see if you can get some inspiration to, you know, expand your horizons. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so yes, as, uh, so yeah, we have Mara Wilson as Matilda, and this is definitely one of her best roles, like hands down. Yeah, and uh, you know it was a long time coming to be honest with you. Like uh, it's um, it was actually also she nearly kind of she kind of got this um, part by accident as well, if you remember, because obviously uh, many people obviously were falling down because of the flu and things like that. So they actually had to go for a rush uh, audition, and then uh, Mara Wilson landed the part. Yeah, so, like, exactly. Uh, yeah, and so they you know they did very well to uh, yeah to capture Mara Wilson at that particular point in time because obviously she was uh, she was on a roll. So. Yeah, yeah. And what, one of the interesting things about this is that, um, you know, this would be one of the last roles of an actress that she would do right before, you know, she decided to quit acting and she would go over to college. However, unlike most 
of the actors that we talked about in this retrospective, she actually did slowly go back into acting. She did a few web series and she appeared in a few uh, videos with Channel Awesome, whether it be from Doug Walker or Lindsay Ellis. And then eventually she came back to voice as one of the villains in Big Hero 6, the animated series. So she's actually back in the spotlight. Yeah, well, I mean, like, uh, it's it can do do people like really retire in these in these types of scenarios? Like, I mean, uh, you know, we Peter Ostrom, Samuel Irons, no. Jason Fisher, Paul Terry. I mean, they, 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 yeah, they just uh, they, they eventually they come back. Yeah, uh, well, some of them do, but some of them do, but others don't. I mean, others don't. I mean, others have legitimate reasons not to come back. But sure. uh, I mean, like uh, in regards to. Uh, people like Mara Wilson, who still still has a love for the industry and still has a love for the things that she does. Like, yeah. uh, she still feels passionate about it. She's still going to do it. So. Yeah, I mean, like she says in in various interviews that she loved acting in theater as opposed to acting on you know in the big screen. And also, you know, she said that she had a great time doing voiceover work, and she says that she wants to do more of it. So. Yeah, this won't be the last time that we'll be seeing Mara Wilson because oh, you know, absolutely she, no. yeah, she's a huge powerhouse on social media. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so yes, we have, um, so yeah, it's actually nice to, um, so yeah, we have the scenes in which when, you know, she's reading the books and then her father's like shocked that she has so many books because, you know, they prefer watching television or as the book says, they, you know, they crowd around into the telly. So, yeah, we have um, Mr. Wormwood asking, like, where did all these books come from? And then she says, oh, I got these from the library. It's like, oh, you, but you've never been in the library before. You're only four years old. And then she says six and a half, which in the book, she was around four or five years old. But they decided to age her up to match closer to Mara Wilson's age. And so then they decided that, you know, she was this weird girl and that she, you know, should just watch TV like a good kid. And she's constantly alone and isolated from her family which in the book they don't express that whatsoever in the book she's kind of like a very smart aleck very intelligent very quick person who just seems to take it in stride she doesn't really seem to have a lot of emotions when it comes to you know how her parents treat her she just comes up with these clever ideas of getting revenge at them and she doesn't really have a lot of feeling to how her parents you know act or they she just thinks that they're just like kind of you know, dumb and completely manipulated by television. But here, they actually gave her a lot of emotion in this movie. It's amazing because, you know, kids go for a crossroads of this particular thing. Like, uh, I mean, how many times have we heard the stories of, like, kids of, like, neglected like neglectable parents and uh, who go off the rails and just, you know, uh, end up making a misery of their lives and stuff like that. And uh, here you have uh, Matilda, who is just uh, intellectually frustrated and uh, wants to do you know, anything that isn't this. And so obviously then she starts acting out in, uh, you know, in a way like starts kind of like rebelling against her parents in a very uh, teenage way in some places, you know, like, uh, you know, ending up replacing the dye in, uh, um, you know, Danny DeVito's hair. And uh, obviously he starts into like a bleach blonde uh, hair at one point. And then obviously gluing his hat onto, uh, onto his head and stuff like that. You know, just uh, going into these um, into these rebellious forms that uh, she only knows how to do, and so it just it's uh, and then obviously it builds up to the point where she basically, with her her intellectual mind, uh, just uh, starts to go, go grasp her powers and all of a sudden just blows up the television. Right, and right. So like it's just it's uh, it all builds up to that, and uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it comes to that conclusion, and uh, then obviously we move on to the point where she's uh, uh, moved into a school. 
yeah. uh, which is, uh, yeah. Yeah, and the, there, was an other, there was another prank that she did to her parents that was in the original book, but was cut off from the movie because they felt it was unnecessary. So in the book, she had a friend that had a pet parrot who can speak. And so she decided to borrow the parrot and stick it up into the chimney where the parrot would be talking like, hello, 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 and all that kind of stuff. And the, the Wormwoods thought, oh man, there's a ghost in the house. And they would be looking around the house for days and they kept hearing, hello, hello, hello. And, you know, her parents were wondering about like, who's this ghost? You know, why is this ghost haunting us? Why, you know, who is that? And then eventually Matilda gave the bird back to her friend. But yeah, they decided to cut that from the movie because, you know, I mean, I guess maybe for animal cruelty sake, it's like, yeah, you can't stick a bird up in a chimney and, you know, you can't really do that. And okay. in, the, um, in the book, they actually talked about like... But well, where, where else was it? Was it based again in America? I'm trying to remember where they... They when when they when they put it in America, where did they put it? Uh, in uh, what what? I mean, did they actually stay whereabouts it was? I like, mean, according to well, they, there's never been an official claim on where the American state Matilda takes place in, but according to maybe a lunchbox that was shown at the end of the movie, where it says Asbury, New Jersey, which is where Danny DeVito is from, many people assume that maybe the movie takes place in New Jersey. Oh, okay, then so um, well. I mean, to, maybe people had chimneys, maybe. I don't know. Like, uh, I mean, like, if it, was, if it was taking place in the American South, I mean, I highly doubt that uh, people probably would have had, like, fires or anything like that, maybe, because obviously it was so warm. But yeah, I mean, if, it, if it's in New Jersey where it's northern and there's snow and stuff like that, then sure, if it's an older house, then that would make a lot of sense. Yeah. And, it, it, and yeah, it did look like a, a, an older house as opposed to, like, a newer modern house. Um, but yeah, I think that um, the neighborhood that Matilda stays in, I guess, um, you know, kind of like matches up with, uh, you know, when they were talking about in the book, where in the book, it was talking about like, oh, um, you know, they lived in this like this small suburban area, and uh, they were very quaint, and they lived uh, in, in happiness with, um, you know, her father being um, a motor car salesman, and her mom constantly making, you know, bits of money to play bingo. Uh, according to my notes right here, apparently that it took place in Buckinghamshire. So that's where... Buckinghamshire. Yeah, Buckinghamshire, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was a Buckinghamshire village that the the book took place in, as opposed to like New Jersey for the Americans. Yeah, anyway. You can tell who the Brit is in this podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, we, we know, we know. It's obviously me. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Of course it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so, yeah, we we get some, you know, more, so yeah, um, as, and then we get to see, you know, Matilda's idea of wanting to um, have revenge over her father where she, you know, put some hydrogen peroxide into uh, his hair product and that, you know, putting glue onto his hat, which in the book, it was completely swapped where the glue came first and then the dye. And then we have, um, you know, we have, you know, Miss, uh, Mr. Wormwood explaining to um, Matilda and to uh, Michael about like, oh, this is how I do my cars. I put glue on the bumper so that it would fall off eventually. I put sawdust into the engine. I rotate the, um, the meter so that it can go backwards. And essentially he's selling these old worn down cars for overhyped prices. 
And he even steals car parts, which we have a section in the movie where the police are involved in trying to get evidence that he has stolen car parts. Yeah. Which is uh, kind of weird because it's like, you know, he's saying that he's stolen car parts and all of a sudden they're like turning up in like, uh, you know, uh, car boxes. Like, uh, I mean, are, are people stealing them on his behalf and they're getting like moved over to his house? Like, uh, I'm not entirely I mean, sure. I, I guess it's kind of like in the black market in which like he has like a source where he buys car parts from like um, illegal source of uh, like a, maybe like a. Uh, um, like a warehouse that is not in the market and he's able to use those to put the cars together as opposed to like a legit factory where he can like spend extra money so that he can be able to make better cars because hey cheaper products equals more money that he can make so mm -hmm. the fact that he's doing this illegally the cops are saying okay we need to get some evidence on him so we can arrest this guy because what he's doing is against the law and it is there in the book, but it's there like way towards the end of the book, as opposed to like in the movie in which they're actually building up on it throughout the, even the first act. Anyway, so we have Matilda. Um, so yeah, so we, we then cut over to, um, you know, Mr. Wormwood and Mrs. Wormwood and Michael watching TV and, you know, having to deal with the embarrassment that he got his, you know, hat stuck in his head because of the glue. And so Matilda's just sitting in the corner reading Moby Dick by Herman Melville while um, Mr. Wormwood is, you know, saying like, you need to act like a Wormwood and you need to start acting like one. And he takes her book and starts ripping it in pieces, even though that in the book, it was The Red Pony by, uh, John Steinbeck and the reason why he ripped the book was because he didn't want Matilda to read anything written by an American so then when she's watching the tv which is this talk which is this game show called million dollar sticky with um with this it, it just it just looks like such a sleazy midnight game show that you would watch in which like you cover yourself in glue and whatever yeah. money gets stuck to you. you I, I, I think the I think the idea was to obviously make you know uh, basically say how trashy te American television basically was, and so like I think that was uh, where they were getting out at the time. And, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was uh, pointed out to the uh, to everybody, and so uh, and uh, yeah, and then all of a sudden like. Uh, you know, uh, just uh, coincidentally, the television just explodes. Yeah, just so. so happens to explode by absolutely no reason, even though that Mr. Wormwood tries to come up with a valid explanation that, oh, it's a cheap and stolen set. Yeah. So that's why the TV broke off. And uh, it turned out that um, Matilda was in the beginning phases of developing her powers, which in the book, she develops it way later on. She wouldn't know about her powers until she, you know, uh, spills the the cup of water into Miss Trunchbull, but that speaking of Miss Trunchbull, that's who we get introduced to next, and it's played off very mysteriously with like Mister Wormwood and Miss Trunchbull in shadows, with uh, a great juxtaposition between the sizes of Mister Wormwood, where he's like really small, while Miss Trunchbull is like really tall. Yeah, and uh, also it's just it's um it, the one thing I, I don't particularly like about like the end of that scene though is that they kind of give away a little bit of what she looks like in this, and uh, I would really like the mystery to kind of like be uh, kept until we actually got to the school, and so uh, I mean like uh, it's just too bad that I decided that, okay, well we're just going to give you an idea of what she kind of looks like, and I would like to just do a scene just kind of just drive away if anything, not uh, 
you know, get in the car. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think uh, that's one thing I didn't particularly like about the, the movie. It kind of ruined the surprise of like, you know, oh, hey, this is the Trunchbull, you know. And uh, so I think if we got introduced to her right at the uh, right at the gate of the school and then, uh, you know, also that as well, like, because uh, it showed, you know, the very beginning, if that had been cut out, it would have shown how intimidating she actually was and the shock value of that would have still been there when she was doing all her, uh, you know, her craziness around the, around the school ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, so yeah, so Matilda is um, going over to Crunchham Hall, which in the original book it was a private British academy. Which, if you know from Roald Dahl's childhood, he attended various British academies where he was absolutely miserable. Go listen to our discussion on Danny the Champion of the World for more details. So she goes over there and she sees that, you know, the kids are playing and everything is smiley and happy. And then all of a sudden, this huge shadow merges from the door and here comes Miss Trunchbull, played by Pam Ferris, making this our fifth actress who has been in a Harry Potter movie. We talked about Robbie Coltrane, Julie Andrews. We talked about Miriam Margoyles, David Thewlis, and Pam Ferris, who plays a minor role. She was in the third movie as Aunt Marge. So, uh, but nonetheless, uh, she is a very intimidating um, antagonist. Many people say that she is one of the best antagonists featured in a Roald Dahl adaptation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, her face is terrible. Like, uh, you know, she, uh, she, she does look like a really horrible, horrid woman. Uh, in this and uh, you know like um, I really hope that she doesn't actually, does she actually look like that in real life I mean I'm I mean she's you... first of all she's not that tall they actually yeah. had like various camera angles and stuff like that to make her appear tall oh I was talking about like uh, how tall she was like uh, you know like uh, you know when they talk about George the Animal Steel was like the you know when uh, they brought him in for Edward and he said oh he's the uh, you know Tor Johnson was like the first person to do uh, you know monster movies without makeup and I'm like uh, sitting right. there like uh, I really <laughs> I really hope they kind of did that on purpose, like they were making her that, that horrible to look at. Um, so. No, I mean, like, she more or less looks like that, but obviously, you know, they decided to, like, um, not, you know, have... Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, in real life, from what I've seen in various other roles that she's done, she's actually, you know, really nice looking. And she's, according to various interviews from the cast and Mara Wilson, she's actually really, really nice. Like, she would talk about, like, you know, her love of cats, and she would talk about, like, various, like, really nice things to the kids as soon as they were done filming. So she, you know, very similar to Gene Wilder and, you know, interacting with the cast. Apparently, Pam Ferris was the same, in which she was really nice, and she was really fun to work with. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, like, people like that, I mean, obviously, you know, are going to be really fun to work with, because, you know, at the end of the day, she's going to need to do that because she needs to, uh, you know, obviously strike up a relationship with the people that she's to be working with. And obviously she wants it to be positive. And so, uh, yeah. And uh, it's kind of funny that uh, they decided uh, that uh, with the kids, they would like, uh, you know, pour all in. Well, so they, well, the kids would have thought were kind of like unscripted parts of the movie. So, like, uh, obviously there's the thing with the news uh, that kind of came in and obviously they weren't prepared for that. So the reactions that they had were genuine. Uh, which goes great to um, Danny DeVito's direction, if uh, that's what he uh, put into play. Mm-hmm. And uh, but uh, you know the way that um, you know Miss Trunchbull, you know, uh, was portrayed in this movie is uh, she's very intimidating and she does it really well. And uh, she um, she's kind of like you know the worst parts of the Hulk and like the uh, the worst parts of 
of uh, you know the, some of the witches that we saw in that other movie. Yeah, exactly. So, like, I mean, yeah. you know, she is up there with the Grand High Witches, like one of the main antagonists that you are frightful of. Yeah, but one was created by Jim Henson, and the other one's all natural. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yes. So uh, yeah, there's uh, there's uh, yeah, I think there's a debate to be had there. I think a little bit. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, we have, um, Miss, so we have Matilda just like frightened that, you know, this mean woman is in charge of the school. And so she meets up with her other friends. She meets up with a girl named Lavender and another girl named Hortensia. So Lavender is supposed to be Matilda's friend in the movie. Well, in the book, they do know each other, but she's like rarely there she just shows up in between various scenes hortensia in the book is a bully like she would just like push around the little kids like if she's supposed to be the higher up and that she knows everything so they decided to like soften up the character and actually make them as friends you know building yeah. up their relationships which, which is a great thing to do because obviously the, the people there are so the, the whole atmosphere is so intimidating already i like i mean you really don't need to add any more so i think uh, they got the balance right in my opinion in yeah absolutely to, like, i mean know, uh, yeah. matilda already has her parents and she has Miss Trunchbull. Why add in another villain? That's completely unnecessary. So they did a right decision on making Hortensia a friend as opposed to a foe. Mm-hmm. And very similar to in the book, Hortensia does talk about Miss Trunchbull, about how she's very nasty to kids, about how, you know, she caught uh, a child eating M&Ms, you know, during school, where in the book, you know, it was during a Bible studies and he was eating a British candy and that, you know, she punished him by throwing him out the window. And also talking about how uh, Miss Trunchbull was in the Olympics. She did shot put, hammer throw, and javelin. And of course, the torturous room known as the Chokey, where there's like a whole bunch of like stuck out nails and you have to stand there while there's like dripping pipes and uh, broken glass and all that kind of stuff. It is a kid's worst nightmare. Yeah, and uh, probably very, very illegal. Yeah, very, very illegal. Absolutely. I mean, when we were watching this, it's like, you know, could, you know, superintendent not fire her or something like that? And then we have to remember, like, this was based off of Roald Dahl's childhood, and he grew up around, like, the 1920s. So, you know, this was during a time in which when school authority was pretty common that it would most likely be mean with, like, whipping canes and rulers that you smack over to your hand if you're writing incorrectly and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I mean, like, just, just to clarify, what year did actually this 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 movie take place in? Did I mean, actually, well, I mean, it doesn't say what year the movie takes place in, but the book takes place in 1988. Yeah. So, but so it looks to me like I mean, looking at the type of the cars that he's selling and like the the way that it's kind of like it all kind of looks. I mean, I would say somewhere like in 1970 something, or 1980 something or other, something mm-hmm. within those two decades. I would have thought. Yeah, so, I mean, like, I mean, even like, the televisions look very bulky, like, if you were seeing something like that in the 70s and 80s. Um, I think that, you know, I think the closest would probably be the 1980s, because that's probably, when the book yeah. took place. Um, but I didn't see anything like a cell phone or, like, uh, a no, handheld no, no. or a Walkman or anything like that. Yeah, so I, mean, I think so. I think like the choking and things like that. I mean, like obviously they wouldn't be things that would be probably permitted in that era. But uh, I mean, I think it's more done to comedic, well, not to comedic effect, but kind of more to scare, more like to uh, um, horror effect, more than kind of like just to kind of say, oh, this is a real scenario. Right, you know? right. 
I mean, it pretty much so. I mean, if you're, uh, you know, with Roald Dahl's life, when he was a child, he confronted a really mean, nasty woman who worked at a candy store that he and his friends would go to after they were done with their classes at the academy. And apparently that was who Miss Trunchbull was based on, this really nasty woman who worked at the candy store. And they did a similar prank that what they would do to Miss Trunchbull later on, but we'll get to that. Anyway, so... Uh, they, you know, Miss Trunchbull appear, uh, you know, approaches this little girl named Amanda Threp who has these pigtails. And so she's asking her to remove the pigtails. And she's like, no, my mommy thinks they're sweet. And, you know, she says, you know, your mommy's a twit. I don't know if this is supposed to be a reference to the twits from Roald Dahl or maybe just uh, the insult. I don't, I don't know. think so. I think it's just a, yeah, I think it's just an insult. Sure. But, so. Anyway, so yeah, um, as mentioned in the commentary, the girl who was writing, you know, who was um, being thrown off by Miss Trunchbull over to the garden, you know, they had to put a harness on her so that she could be flying. And apparently, according to um, the, uh, the, uh, the Matilda reunion that was featured on the Blu-ray, she said that she had a fun time with that. She said that she felt like she was flying and that she wanted to actually go a second round, but they already had the take that they needed. Although she was really, <laughs> really close to getting into the spikes. Maybe that's the reason why they didn't do the second take because they thought, well, the next one could end her up in hospital. So. <laughs> Very true. Although I think that she even mentioned in the reunion saying like, you know, uh, I, I no longer wear pigtails because, you know, that movie kind of scarred me from ever having pigtails in my hair ever again. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. Anyway, but I think this is the thing we were going to talk about. I think a lot of people kind of walked away from this movie, kind of like uh, you know, kind of scarred in a way. Yeah, uh, <laughs> in a way, yeah. Yeah. So then we have you know Matilda, um, you know, relieved that you know Amanda was safe, and then that was when they were called into their class, and so we get introduced to Miss Honey, who is the teacher, and she's supposed to be the very sweet motherly character that Matilda desperately needed, especially since she, pretty much her life she was surrounded by evil, well, not evil, like mean, angry adults who simply just didn't care. So, you know, with Miss Honey was definitely like somebody that she looked up to. She was very intelligent. She was very sweet. She was very supportive to all the children. And Miss Honey welcomed Matilda with open arms and allowing her to, um, you know, feel welcome. And then when they were going over their two times tables, which in the book, none of the children knew about their multiplications with the exception of Matilda, but they decided, hey, you know, let's have all the children know about their times tables. But Matilda knows about the advanced times tables again to give Matilda a little bit more relatability and the one thing that I really did like was that reference to the BFG when she said Dolls Chickens when she meant to say Charles Dickens mm -hmm. and this is when Matilda and Miss Honey started getting a really nice relationship with each other you know and uh, you know Miss, Miss Honey is the teacher I think we all wanted yeah you, like she's, she's the little opposite of Miss Trunchville Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it's just it's. Uh, I think it also kind of plays out because obviously in the obviously in the story, Miss um, uh, Trunchbull is actually um, the aunt-in-law. I think the sorry the aunt yeah the aunt of um, the niece oh, of Miss Trunchbull. The niece of Miss Trunchbull. Yeah, sorry, Miss yeah, Trunchbull. Trunchbull. So yeah. So um, obviously that kind of like she obviously goes the opposite way. And may, do you, anything that kind of gives uh, you know relatability to both Miss Miss Honey and to Matilda because obviously they come from very bad backgrounds and uh, basically just caught up in this kind of like this whole mess, you know. Mm -hmm. So like, uh, it's, uh, so for them, like, uh, there's a, a chance to kind of like uh, have a really good relationship with, other, with each other on screen. 
Yeah. And uh, the woman who plays as uh, Miss Honey, um, M. Beth Davids, that, uh, you know, they weren't originally calling her. They were originally going to call um, the, the, one of the main actresses in Law & Order SVU to be the main, uh, to, to play as Miss Honey. But she was called off because maybe she was like really busy with other projects. But yeah, they casted M. Beth Davids instead. And I think that that was like wonderful casting, especially since um, in the book, it was said that Miss Honey was 22 years old and she was just starting off as a teacher. Whereas in the movie, she's, she's obviously a lot older and she's been teaching for quite a while. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, I think um, in regards to the way that was set up into the school, uh, I mean, uh, the kids uh, as well, I think, are great, I think, in this in this thing. And uh, also, well, as well, like Miss Money is, um, I mean, in the original book, she actually was around about 20, 22, something like that yeah. in uh, in the book. And uh, they've obviously made her a bit older in this, uh, obviously, to uh, kind of like give the believability that uh, she's obviously got some... Uh, experience in teaching these children in some right. way and so yeah and uh, also uh, just uh, giving her the um you know the 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 believability that she would basically take over the school at the end of the movie so yeah. Uh, yeah. exactly so yeah so she sees that matilda is wise beyond her years she is way more advanced than any of the other children there and so she decides to ask miss trunchbull if she could be moved over to a higher class and miss trunchbull simply just doesn't believe her she thinks that matilda needs more discipline because you know her father is a terrible human being and so you know we have honey uh, miss honey's like okay if if any if nobody's gonna be you know treating miss you know matilda seriously then i'll 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 you know teach her myself and maybe i'll talk to her parents to see what they think of it and um when she goes over to her parents house that night oh man it's oh it's it's yeah. quite a disaster well i mean it's uh i, I liked the uh chemistry between miss honey and uh mr wormwood in in this and uh, i mean obviously not the, uh, the you can see that they're two polar opposites of one another in this and uh, seeing the back and forth actually was quite uh you know it's was, was quite interesting oh no so, I, i'm not uh, talking about that i'm talking about in the sense in which like she thought that you know she was going to be meeting up with uh, you know, the parents of the smartest girl that she's seen in a very long time. And maybe that, uh, maybe they're similar, but no, they actually are not very intelligent. They mostly prefer television more than books. And they don't believe what Miss Honey is saying about her being a very intelligent girl. Yeah. So, I mean, but at least it gives more sympathy for Miss Honey to Miss Hilda's situation, at least. So Yeah. And also it gives a great, so. and also it, gr it gives great uh, foreshadowing for uh, the fact that, Miss Honey sees that Matilda is mistreated. She is underappreciated by her family, which she herself had went through when she was younger, which we'll, we'll discuss about in just a moment. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so now we go over to the next scene in the movie where it's uh, featuring Bruce Bogtrotter, or as the uh, official Roald Dahl cookbook called him, Augustus Gloop, but more empathetic. Yes, I, I, I'm serious. Uh, in the uh, Roald Dahl cookbook, where they have the, you know, the Bruce, you know, Miss Trunchbull's cake, they actually do mention that again. We have the same trope of, uh, you know, with like, you know, you know, Roald Dahl's portrayal of fat people. They're either Augustus Gloop clones or antagonists. That's pretty much it. Nothing else. Yeah. 
Well, you know, like, I mean, at the time, I mean, obviously, you, when, you, when you're writing a kid's book, I mean, like, obviously, you know, for, uh, fleshed out characters, I mean, it didn't really come along until, you know, a lot long afterwards, I would say. That, but, that's uh, true. I will make, yes. Well, we, well, they're side characters, too, so, like, you know, they're not massively integral to the plot. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, it was written in the late 80s, uh, so we could give, you know, the benefit of the doubt. But, yeah, I mean, when the movie came out in 96... I mean, to be fair, this was before Hey Arnold or Recess would come along and feature Harold Berman and Mikey, which didn't, you know, use their weight as like a joke. They, they were actual kids who had actual backstories and progression of who they were. So, yeah, we've come a long way since then. Anyway, so Miss Trunchbull calls Bruce Bogtrotter up in, you know, in front of the assembly and saying that you know, you stole my chocolate cake, and that chocolate cake was the most scrumptious cake in the entire world, and, you know, at first, you know, she makes him sit down and just eat a slice of cake. Very uneventful, very boring, nothing to write home about, but then she calls the cook and says, okay, you're gonna eat the entire cake in front of everybody, and you cannot leave until it's all gone, which was torturous for the actor who played as Bruce Bogtrotter because he hated chocolate cake. Every time that you get to see him in the movie and he's eating it, every time it was cut off, like, okay, we got this shot, he actually spat it in a bucket because he hated yeah. it. Well, I mean, like, uh, you can't say he didn't do what he needed to do. I mean, obviously, he portrayed the character the way he needed to be portrayed. So, yeah, that's like, true. Uh, in the book, it was mentioned that Bruce Bogtrotter was just all happy about eating the cake. He was just, like, gobbling it up like crazy. Well, in the movie, they decided to give him a struggle. It's like, he liked eating the cake at first, but then when it was, like, slowly, you know, being um, eaten bit by bit, it was like, oh, he can't eat it anymore. It's struggling. It's, like, it's agonizing with every bite, which, again, brings a great example of the relatability that they were able to add into the movie. It's like, you know, the kids are struggling. Any kid with a situation like this would be struggling to eat it. It's like, oh, I get to eat all the candy in the world, but then, like, maybe one or two pounds later, you're like, oh, I have a stomach ache. I can't eat anymore. You keep eating that chocolate and candy until it's all gone. It's like, no, you can't. You can't do that. And yeah. then... Uh, I, I guess you could say that uh, his uh, reluctance to even eat the chocolate cake, I think, also played into his performance. Yeah, it, it definitely take. It's actually, it, it actually is a good advantage point, especially since you can tell he's not enjoying it whatsoever. Not only because it's too no. much, <laughs> right? Not only because it's too much, but also because he hated the taste. Um, I think that uh, I mean, e I even yeah. So we have um, you know Matilda cheering him on when you know he can't take it anymore, and then everybody else is cheering him on. And, you know, it, 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 you know, you can definitely tell that this was a movie that came out in the late 90s because it has that, you know, you know what would I, I would call it like a Nickelodeon mentality about like, you know, kids are the, the, the superior ones and the adults are like, you know, the, um, the bad guys or something like that, which does play in a lot of role doll books, but not as much as this. As I say, I think uh, the, uh, the, the, the cafeteria lady gives me a lot of Amanda show vibes or all that vibes. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, you're it, right. Like. Yeah. It, 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 it's more like Barth's Burgery from You Can't Do That on Television, which is like this disgusting fast food restaurant where it's dirty and then the cook is just like covered in dirt and the burgers are disgusting. So yeah, it gave me those kind of vibes as well. How's but, that parody? Isn't that like pretty much every fast food restaurant in America? <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, that's the joke. And also, it's Canadian. That's the joke. That's the joke. And also, it was a Canadian sketch comedy show. So I don't know how fast food restaurants are in Canada, but I'm sure it's similar. Probably pretty much the same as they are in this country, too. Yeah, pretty much. Anyway, so, yeah, in the book, Miss Trunchbull is just shocked that Bruce Boxtrotter was able to eat the cake, and then she just, like, pushes him away. But in the movie, she decides to give every kid punishment by letting them stay five hours and copying off of the dictionary. And then Matilda gets home late, and then her father scolds her for being late from, you know, going back from school because the car parts already arrived, and nobody was there to pick them up. And then the police are there. And they're just been waiting outside all day, even though if the car parts already arrived, shouldn't they have the opportunity to take pictures or get footage of that already if it was just standing right outside of the front porch? Maybe they already did off screen and they're just basically just hanging around, maybe. But then know. if that's the case, then why? what about the scene in which they went over to the garage? I mean, wouldn't they already gotten this, the evidence right there? Uh, I have no idea. Continuity error, maybe. Yeah, uh, that's that's the one thing I definitely was pointing out when I saw the movie. So... Yeah. Yeah, Maybe so the, just like you know, hey, we got Pee Wee Herman on the con- on the on the payroll. Let's uh, use him as much as we can for the amount of which we're paying for. So, yeah, I don't and, know. yeah, sure. And Bob the Goon as well. It's like, yeah, let's let's utilize whatever screen time that they have left. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so yeah, um, the, the parents have absolutely no urgency to call these guys who have been right outside of their house because they think that they're speedboat salesmen, even though there is no lake around where they live. But Matilda's warning them that those are cops and that they need to, you know, clean up their act or else they're going to get arrested. And of course, they don't believe her. They think that she's lying and that she's just an ignorant kid. And so they pushed her away. And so then we go over to the next scene in which when, uh, you know, Matilda's hanging out with her friends, they find the nude in the lake. And then Miss uh, Trunchbull is very angry about the status of her car. And so she grabs Matilda and puts her in the chokey, which doesn't happen in the book. But we need to get more tension. And so then we have Lavender coming up with the idea of putting the newt in the water so that Miss Trunchbull can drink from it, which in the book, um, you know, Lavender thought that on her own because she was just a mean, you know, kind of like scheming person. So that's why she did it. Pretty much no reason other than she wanted to do it for Miss Trunchbull's revenge. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just think that um, with that whole scene, I mean, it's just, it was never in the book. It was just kind of like, it was just um, all, all thrown together, I think. And uh, so uh, it was, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, like you have to build up the tension, I guess. And uh, so I think that's what, what, what that did. But mind you, like, even then, like, uh, just the threat of it probably would have been just enough. But uh, I guess they had to go through all throttle with, uh, with Mara Wilson throwing her in there, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, and uh, yeah, for sure. So we have uh, Miss Trunchbull going over to the classroom discussing about how, you know, kids are just um, undisciplined and irresponsible and just absolutely nothing and how they're just absolutely worthless to society. And then we have Matilda coming back and then, you know, she's um, you know, seeing everything that's been going on and, you know, finally Miss Trunchbull pours the water into her glass and the nuke comes out, which uh, was based off of real life where Roald Dahl and his friends decided to prank the candy lady who had been treating them so horribly when they found a dead rat in the corner of the store. They put it in there and then they told the, the candy lady, hey, would you mind giving me some of those treats right over there? And then she reached in and she saw the dead rat and she screamed and she ran away. 
eventually they were caught and they were given severe punishment, but they were really happy that they were able to get revenge on a person that they really hated. So uh, a very similar thing in which like, you can definitely tell that, um, you know, Miss, you know, that Pam Ferris is like legitimately reacting towards the newt and that all the kids are laughing. I can assume that it's because that they had no idea that, you know, this scene with the newt was happening and you can see that they were genuinely laughing. Yeah. And so, I mean, it just plays into the, it's just Danny DeVito direction. It just plays right into it, like I said before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so then we finally get to the scene, which was in the book, in which Matilda starts developing her powers, in which she actually knocks the glass over and the newt is crawling over Pam. And, you know, she's like legitimately reacting to it because apparently, I think in was an interview or something where she was saying like she doesn't like lizards. So, you know, she was like really freaking out and all the kids were laughing and then, uh, finally, you know, she, um, you know, was able to like calm herself down. Apparently the, the, the newts were actually given names in the credits. Like one of them was named Sir Isaac and the other one was named Wayne. Get it? Well, Sir Isaac. No, get yeah. it. Like Sir Isaac, Sir Isaac Newt Newton. Yeah. I know. And Wayne yeah. Newton. Yeah. Jokes. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, so. Ah. <laughs> yes, that's the joke. Anyway, so then, you know, she, um, you know, tell, she, she confronts Matilda saying that she was the one who did it, but obviously she has no proof. And so then when Matilda and Miss Honey are talking alone, she admits that she was the one who tipped the glass over and made Miss Trunchbull uh, wet and having the newt on her. In the book, when she showed it to her, she did it. Like, she legitimately did it. But in the movie, she didn't because she had no control over it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but then after that, obviously, Miss, Miss Honey's kind of like catching on to the fact that she probably has this this gift. So she tries to get it to prove it, and obviously it doesn't work because obviously she's not getting angry enough to uh, actually kind of de- demonstrate it to her. Right. So, uh, yeah, so, uh, and, uh, so then it just goes on to a quest for her to uh, figure out how on earth she activates her powers. Yeah, but before we do that, we get into Miss Honey's backstory, where we get to learn when she was a child, she had a good life, but then, just like your typical Roald Dahl story, the the parents die tragically, because of course they do. So the mother dies when she's very young, the father decides to bring her mother's stepsister to live with them so that, you know you know, she can feel like she has a mother figure around, but it turns out that that stepsister was Miss Trunchbull, and so... Um, later on, um, the father dies mis- by mysterious circumstances. Now, in the book, it is explained that Miss Trunchbull may have murdered the father because she wanted his inheritance and she wanted his house and his money and all that kind of stuff. And the girl just so happened to be in the way. So she decided to just tolerate that. But they never explained it in the movie. They just thought that, oh, you know, he may have killed himself. They were kind of hinting that maybe Miss Trunchbull was responsible for the father's death, but it was never stated. But and uh, yeah, it's this. Um, I mean, even then, like uh, I mean, Miss Trunchbull was evil enough, pretty much as herself. I mean, like I mean, putting the uh, putting the putting the murder of the father on her was, I think, uh, I don't know if it was necessary or not, but obviously, it's. Uh, I don't know if it carried if it needed any more. I'm sure the gravity of her character. Obviously, kind of like showed how much of a of a bad 
god person she was I don't yeah know. maybe they decided to like remove that scene because you know very similar to making hortensia the bully they felt it was kind of unnecessary well if you remember in the uh in the in the, in the chalkboard scene and the, the the very end of the movie uh, they did say that uh well she did allude to the fact that she might have had a role in his, role in his death yeah but it was never stated yeah so, yeah, then Miss Honey was concluding that she was able to live in this nice little cottage and she was able to get away from her wicked aunt and she was able to live happily ever after. But then, you know, Matilda re realized that, oh, the person that, you know, Miss Honey was telling the story about was her and that her aunt was Miss Trunchbull. And in the book, if you see the house that Miss Honey was living in, it's like really depressing like no furniture no food no water the only thing she had in there was just like two little cookies that you know she you know served matilda alongside with like boxes as furniture and you know i mean it's like you know and miss honey was saying like how depressed that she was and that this was all that she had which kind of like deviated from like the movie in which like you know you know miss honey was able to overcome so much tragedy that she was able to build a life on her own and matilda was able to get inspiration from that as opposed to like matilda being the one to help miss honey get the confidence that she needed to making miss you know making matilda almost like a mary sue character mm -hmm. Anyway, but yeah, the one thing that I really did like was the scene in which when Matilda realizes that, you know, grown-ups can be just as afraid of, uh, you know, just as uh, afraid of things as kids are. And then when we get to see, um, you know, her um, seeing Miss Trunchbull getting her stuff together in her car, that's when uh, we see that she has a superstition of black cats. And, you know, the fact that, Ms. that Pam was like... <coughs> Pam actually was like really upset that she was kicking the cats because she just so happens to love animals, especially cats. So uh, obviously that wasn't a real cat. It was a fake cat. And then it was like, you know, switch between like the real cat and the fake cat. What they did was, is that they basically did what they did with Salem and Sabrina, the teenage witch. Basically. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So it was like, obviously like a stuffed cat that, you know, Pam was kicking and then there was like jumped over to a real cat in which they probably like, like tossed it with, you know, like, like, and you know, then, you know, the cat was okay. So no, no animals were harmed in the making of this movie. Well, no harm is, well, that's, that's, that's pretty much part of the course pretty much for every Hollywood movie. So I don't know. Anyway, so then we have uh, so yeah this was not included in the book in which when matilda decides that oh you know i'm gonna go inside the house and you know i'm gonna see if we can find your treasures miss honey and then matilda you know miss honey was like no we shouldn't do that but matilda's like oh we can do it you know she's gone you know we have plenty of time and so then we looked around the house and then you know, uh, Miss Honey describes more about uh, her treasures, which were a doll by the name of Lissy Doll, which, you know, obviously a reference to Roald Dahl's widow. And then the portrait of her father, Magnus, is Roald Dahl himself. And then obviously you have the, the candies, which, you know, Roald Dahl used to do where he would like have candies after dinner alongside with his daughters. And so, uh, and then we have the tense moment in which when Miss Trunchbull finally gets back after her car breaks down and then she's like looking around because she suspects that there are some people inside the house. Mm -hmm. So obviously we get that intense scene and uh, it's uh, the, the, none of it's in the book though. That's the only thing. And like, uh, so it's all played for visual effect, if anything. And uh, so um, there's whole hijinks ensue and then finally they escape the house. So uh... yeah, pretty much. Yeah. 
And so then we have, um, you know, Mrs. Wormwood like easing up to the police officers thinking they were speedboat salesmen, which you can obviously see that one of the police officers is holding a recorder in his hand, recording Mrs. Wormwood's every conversation to use against her. So it's like, yeah, what speedboat salesman has a recorder in his hand? Like, seriously. And then finally, you know, Mr. Wormwood comes along and he's angry as usual. And then Matilda figures out that that is the source of her powers. It's anger towards her father and towards Miss Trunchbull and towards, you know, everybody who's been mean to her. Okay. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, how do you feel about that? Because in the book, it was described that Matilda was able to get her powers from all the years of intellect of never using her brain. And then finally, when she does use her brain, that's when the powers came from, as opposed to in the movie in which she gets her power from anger. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, I guess it's, I, I don't really have any thoughts on it, really. I mean, it's just, it's kind of like, oh, well, regardless of where it came from, like, uh, that's, that's what Matilda is, you know, like, uh, she uh, gains her, her, her mental connect telekinesis from uh, from some source and so uh, i mean it makes sense for it to come from anger to be honest with the frustration of like her not being able to use her intellect to the uh, to the highest degree so uh, in, in a way it still kind of comes from her the part of her brain that uh, isn't being used for anything so like uh, so in a way it's not too it's not too differing in my opinion mm. so. fair enough and so then we get uh, the scene in which, like, she's able to master her powers by, you know, lifting everything, turning everything on and off, which obviously inspired the Matilda challenge that happened a few years ago on YouTube. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I, this, they, you know, they, they had Pee Wee Herman in this movie uh, as one of the films. Wouldn't it have been fun if, like, before... Well, mind you, they did this too late where they... after Right after that, they bring in, like... Uh, you know, the cops again, but uh, how fun would it have been if, like, uh, all that was going on and Pee Wee Herman just kind of, like, uh, you know, appeared into the, um, into the window and uh, just, uh, like, uh, just made, like, a, like, a, 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 a reference joke, like, saying, you know, even my house isn't as crazy as this, like, you know, just this, like, uh, you know, just something that would have got a laugh out of people who knew who he was. No, yeah, I, I think that probably that wouldn't have been appropriate if you recall. I mean, it was 1996, so this was like a few years after the allegations, and he wouldn't uh, portray his character on TV in any form until 2007 during the Spike TV, um, you know, awards or something like that. I mean, regardless, like it was, uh, you know, it was everyone knows him as Pee Wee Herman. So, like, uh, you know, it's just... It's I mean, you, you have to understand, I mean, like, I, I don't know how it was in the UK, but back then, like, it was, like, majorly controversial. I mean, it, it's not a big deal, like, today, because... Wait, we're talking about the, we talking about what he did in that porno theater. Yes. I mean, yeah, I'm, just, you know, it's like, it's... Uh, I just wrote it, I just put it under the, uh, under, under the guise of celebrities doing stupid shit. You know, like, uh, it's just, it's... Uh, obviously, what he did was wrong. He should have been punished for it. I mean, obviously, that was... Uh, that was that, but uh, yeah, it's just it's uh, it's just uh, you know uh, well, in that case, then I'm just really surprised that Danny DeVito casted him in that role. Well, the reason why he was there was because you know the reason why he was there was because you know he was really good friends with him. I mean, they obviously did Batman Returns, so it's like you know he was struggling with roles for the longest time. Like he he could barely get any movie roles. I mean, he was only in like the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie. Then there was Dunstan checks in, and then there was this. And then after that, mm -hmm. he wouldn't get his stride in movies again until, you know, Mystery Men in 1999 and Blow in 2001. Yeah. So, I mean, like, uh, I mean, 
Yeah, but um, it would be, it would have been hilarious if he did that. But uh, that's just me. Okay, fair enough. I mean, maybe maybe back then it would have been a little controversial, but I think today would have been pretty funny. Yeah, well, that's, uh, well, what about it? So, but making references to Pee Wee's Playhouse. Hmm. No, I guess so. Okay. Anyway, so yeah, then we get over to, you know, the cops are seeing the box of stolen car parts and they want to get footage of it so they can show proof that, you know, Mr. Wormwood is stealing car parts and that he's doing something illegal. And Matilda is, you know, she's been keeping an eye on them for quite a while. And she's like, okay, I need to take, you know, action. You know, my, my parents are not, you know, going to do anything about it. So in order for them to you know, get off the hook for just a little bit until they can clean up their act, then yeah, I'm going to prevent them from doing any, you know, um, any investigating, even though that technically they shouldn't be because they don't have a warrant. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, the it would have been, uh, obviously she was moving the box around, but uh, it would have been nice to see them have a little, I mean, obviously then she was, she let the cam break off the car and let that roll down the hill. And I guess that's, uh, about as many amount of fun you could probably have with them. Obviously, she wasn't going to go for like Macaulay Culkin on them or anything like that. But mm -hmm. uh, you know, like uh, yeah, I think it was fun for what she did. So. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, then we go over to the scene in which when you know she decides that she's going to test out her powers by going over to Miss Trunchbull's house and see if she can get Lissy doll and some chocolates and mess around with Miss Trunchbull for a little bit, which. You know, she didn't do that in the book, obviously. I mean, in the book, you know, instead of that fun little sequence where she was able to turn on the radio and have the cards and the chips flying around, she grabbed her dad's cigar and put it into her room and practiced for days until she could lift it up in the air. Fun. Hmm. So, yeah. yeah like, I think I think the montage we got, with, with, besides that, I think it was far more fun than what was described in the book. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so then we have, um, you know, Matilda, you know, grabbing the chocolates, got the doll, and so she decides to have some fun with Miss um, Trunchbull, and, you know, her hair ribbon, you know, is being flown away in the breeze, and then Miss Trunchbull finds it when she runs over to her car, and then she realizes that Matilda was the one responsible for causing all of that ruckus in her house. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, but mind you, the way that she found out about it, I mean, I would have liked to have been a bit more subtle. So when she lost a ribbon in the tree, like, um, it would have been, like, uh, more, I thought it would be more interesting if, like, uh, they would go around the, the around the lines of, like, uh, you know, oh, why is she so happy the next day, you know, and stuff like that. Why is she, like, losing, it looks like she's slightly, slightly losing her mind, like, getting a bit more maniacal. And mm -hmm. then all of a sudden, like, she then finds out that it's, she pulls out the ribbon, which uh, then would shock everybody. I would have thought because like, oh God, how, you know, it was up in the tree. How on earth did she find it? And like, she must've like been so shocked about everything that happened. She went, she, sort of, she pretty much searched around every nook and cranny of the house and found this ribbon. And uh, so I would have thought, you know, um, instead of like, um, kind of like making it so obvious that she found the ribbon, I would have made it kind of like, oh, well, she obviously lost the ribbon, but uh, you know, it's like no big loss, but then later on there'd be like consequences for that, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I would be. I would be just be better good story, better storytelling. But that's just me. Sure. Anyway, so then you know Matilda starts getting some more information about um, you know Matilda, Miss um, Honey's father, and what you know uh, Miss Trunchbull's first name was, so that she can be able to use it for something a little later in the movie. And so um, you know we have Matilda showcasing Miss Honey her powers, and then she is like really serious. Is like, yeah, we're gonna you know give Miss Trunchbull the you know the revenge that she deserves 
And so, you know, then we have Ms. Trunchbull confronting everyone saying like, you know, a child came into my house. I want to know who did it and all that kind of stuff. And so then, you know, um, either the, uh, we have uh, Ms. Trunchbull pointing out to Matilda saying that she was the one responsible for doing it. And so, but then Miss Honey comes along and says, no, I was the one who did it. And she almost breaks her arm, which, yeah, I mean, if the superintendent was around and saw that a principal who was in charge of the whole school was responsible for dismembering a teacher and a few kids, it's like, yeah, she would be fired on the spot. Yeah, but I think this is the one thing we, we can't really apply logic to this movie anymore at this point. I mean, obviously we know things are just so outlandish, like I think it's just pointless pointing these things out. No, that's true. Otherwise we'll be like all, we would be, we would have been recording the podcast for like six hours discussing about the weird <laughs> uh, stuff that was going on in James and the Giant Peach. It's like, oh yeah, my suspension of disbelief is gone. So here's my legal analysis. You know, <laughs> You see, the peach was flying with the seagulls because gravity. No, yeah. it's, no, no, we're not doing that. No, uh, I'll let Matt Pat decide on doing that stuff. Anyway, so, you know, then we have the scene in which when, um, you know, the when Matilda decides to control the chalk and it's writing off the message, which was derived from the book of everything that was written down. And what they did was is that they actually had somebody in the back of the chalkboard writing everything backwards while the, the chalk in the front was actually being controlled by a magnet. So the words were being written down. And in the book, the moment that Miss Trunchbull sees the words, she faints. And then she's never seen again when, you know, they were trying to search her to confront her, um, you know, asking her about like, you know, what is this all about that, you know, the, the chalkboard was saying. But no, instead they decide, hey, you know, she's the bad guy. She's the main antagonist in the movie. Let's see if we can push her buttons even more. And so we have like everything from her throwing a child out the window and then the child flies back in, the spinning globe and the yeah. food fight it's and all that like, stuff. It's kind of like a boss fight in like an old, in an old retro game, kind of like, oh, here's the first part of the boss. And then all of a sudden you think he's defeated. Then all of a sudden, oh, here's the second form. Like, you know, I've got to keep playing, you know, got to beat the boss. So it's, uh, it kind of plays out in that kind of format. And uh, then eventually, like, uh, she just gets food loads of pelted at her uh, by every single student in the school. And then she ends up kind of just driving backwards out of, <laughs> out of the gate. So it's just, it's... Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I love the full circle moment in which when Bruce actually shoves the chocolate cake into her face. Oh, how could they not put that in? Like, you know, like, uh, that was, uh, that, that, was the, that was, that was literally the icing on the cake. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. So, uh, but uh, yeah, but that, that was isn't, isn't it kind of funny though? Like, then all after that, you get Danny DeVito once again kind of narrating, like, uh, and we're not hearing it. This is the thing, like, there's a big gap between like him narrating uh, certain parts of the movie, and then all of a sudden at the end, like, he just comes back in with a vengeance and like starts uh, saying, Oh, well, that's the last they saw of Miss Johnson, and then uh, you know, uh, Miss Honey took over the school. Yeah, I so, mean, to be fair, James and the Giant Peach also did the same thing, exactly, and, and yeah. so did Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they just have like sparse narration in between. So yeah. Well, I mean, like, I guess the I guess the the conclusion of the second act and into the final third, I guess, is uh, more driven by elements on the screen and doesn't really need all that much explaining. I guess. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So, I mean, in the, and, and we can, and according to like various interviews, like Pam Fair has actually gotten injured, like during a lot of those moments, like she had like a broken finger, she bashed her head on the wall. And like, um, when she was like really dizzy, she got nauseous and she like literally couldn't like get up for a bit. So yeah, she went through a lot of pain when doing those scenes. I would have hated to have been health and safety on that day. I really yeah. would. Like, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, do not do another take of this again. Look how bad, <laughs> how badly she's came out of this one. Oh, um, man. Yeah. So then we have uh, this. So, so, yeah, so wrapping up the movie. So we have, um, you know, Miss Honey and Matilda having tea together. And then we have, um, you know, her saying the fact about, like, did you know that, uh, you know, a, a mouse's heartbeat goes, you know, 450 beats per minute? And then, uh, you know, that which was actually taken from the witches, where that's a conversation that Luke had with his grandmother. It's like, um, uh, you know, which, you know, trying to build up the nice relationship. Yeah, again, like, uh, I'm really surprised, even when they call the chocolate they, they eat as well. Like, I'm really surprised they haven't, like, talking about, like, oh, hey, it's... Uh, fresh from the Wonka factory or something like that like you know just uh, throwing all these references to like all other uh, Roald Dahl uh, books and movies and stuff you know like yeah 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 for sure anyways you, you could argue so, that it could be like a whole Roald Dahl cinematic universe like you know it's uh, yeah I'm sure if Roald Dahl was alive I'm sure he would have been all over it mm-hmm. anyway so yeah so today um <clears throat> so so yeah, after their conversation, the Wormwoods decide to pick up Matilda and they need to run away because the police are after them. And they said that they're going to be moving over to Guam, where in the book they were going over to Spain. And uh, the... Yeah, look, you know, is, uh, you know, them going to Guam was like a really random thing. Like, obviously I know it's a it's an island like in the middle of like, the, you know, the Atlantic Ocean, or sorry, the Pacific Ocean, sorry. But uh, I mean, like, uh, uh, what well, was, uh, was them running off to Mexico, like too controversial at that time, I thought, because, you know, by, by Apparently Mexico was good enough for Sarah Connor, but apparently not good enough for, uh, you know, the Wormwoods, apparently. So, I don't know. Uh, uh, I mean, I guess maybe because it's U.S. territory and they don't need passports. I don't know. Anyway, but yeah, so they have to run as fast as they can back to, um, you know, to get their, their to get to their flight. And Miss, uh, Miss Honey is like shocked that Matilda's being taken away. And Matilda's like, no, no, don't take me away. I want to stay with Miss Honey. And then she has the idea about bringing out adoption papers that she's carried with her for a long time until a moment like this would happen. And so they were like, yeah, I mean, let's sign our child away to some complete stranger. We don't care. We just need to get out of here before we're arrested by the police. Well, they didn't care about it to begin with. So, uh, like, it's just, it's, uh, that's no surprise there. But uh, you'll know, be interested to know, like, did the Wormwoods actually make it to Guam? Like, I mean, you know, in the like... book, I mean, from what I understand in the book, I mean, I think there was, like, talks about, like, you know, they were, they were, I think, captured by the police or were attempted to be, the, like, really close to being captured by the police. But, yeah, I mean, it doesn't really say about what happened to them afterwards. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so the movie ends with um, Matilda and his, Miss Honey coming together, living happily ever after. Miss Honey becomes the principal of the school as opposed to like the superintendent, some guy named Mr. Trilby who becomes principal of the school for reasons. And then, you know, Matilda decides that, you know, she's going to occasionally use her powers, but not as much as she used to. Well, in the book, she no longer could use her powers because she used up all of the energy that she had stored in her mind. 
Yeah, and uh, well, it was also on top of that as well. Like, I'm really surprised that they didn't go with the whole like uh, she didn't have the powers uh, because she's now happy with uh, her life now, with uh, being uh, obviously being in Miss Honey's life, and uh, you know, vice versa. And uh, oh, and also she can read as many books as she wants. She has as much fun as she wants. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, I'm really surprised the the powers just didn't go away with that. I mean, I would have done like the whole like uh, I don't know, like uh, how would you have played? I mean, would you like maybe like um, said, oh hey, I've got no powers anymore, but then just uh, sneakily just kind of like move, you know, turn the light off like at the end of the movie, like uh, you know, with her powers and that maybe just say she secretly still has like a little bit left, or something like that. I don't know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, so that was Matilda. Even though that the movie was a flop when it came out in 1996, it became quite a beloved movie. Like, and, and even the book is still regarded as like one of the most popular of the Roald Dahl adaptations. It's gotten musicals, it's gotten talks of a sequel. Um, Quentin Blake actually did a very special drawing of what Matilda would be like in her 30s uh, back in 2018 and you know also uh, there was a recent announcement that there's going to be a you know a movie based off of the musical and one of the first confirmed um, roles that was uh, announced was that we're going to have Ray Fiennes as Miss Trunchbull which that's going to be awesome Voldemort Voldemort I, I, as Miss Trunchbull. Well, I mean, like, uh, how how more evil can you get than Voldemort? You know? <laughs> Very true. Okay. Anyway, so yeah, the, the movie, you know, is beloved by pretty much everyone. If people are not saying that Willy Wonka is the best, then they're saying Matilda is the best adaptation. This is the thing, like, I'm still, I'm still a fan of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Like, uh, you know, like, uh, that's still... Out of all the old doll books, that's still going to be like my my prime favorite, I think. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but when it comes to adaptations, adaptations, uh, hmm. I still like the BFG movie <laughs> from uh, <laughs> yeah. Obviously, there's still that. But uh, hey, well, I mean, like uh, we still uh, got plenty more to go. So like, uh, there's still plenty more to uh, get our teeth sunk into. Yeah. Uh, final words for me personally. Um, I really like this movie. I think personally, in my opinion, it's even better than the book. I think that even though that the book, it strays very far from the source, from, I think that even though that the, the movie is strays very f- far away from the source material, the spirit of the book is still there. They were just able to take some tweaks and they were able to rearrange some things that actually made a lot more sense character-wise, story-wise, and various other things. So if I were to say which one is better in my opinion, I would say go watch the movie. I think it's still really well done, and there's a reason why people think it's the best doll adaptation. Uh, slightly less, though, than Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. It's definitely like a top three in my pay, you know personal favorite adaptations. This is one that I highly recommend you check out for sure. Yeah, and so, I mean, in regards to the movie itself, I mean, I do like the movie, but uh, in regards to whether I would prefer it to the book, uh, I mean, like, I like the movie as its own as its own experience, but I also like the book, too. So, sure. uh, I wouldn't say I prefer one over the other, I don't think. I'm sort of, uh, all I'm going to say is I think uh, Danny DeVito, I think, is a good director. I think mm-hmm. uh, that's, um, that's what I take away from it. So. Yeah, and I think that he should, you know, direct more kids' movies. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. All right, then. Well, that is it for this episode of the Roald Dahl Retrospective. So we are finally done with all of the 90s adaptations of Roald Dahl books. So tune in next time as we're going to be starting off the 2000s with the polarizing Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And so then, 
Uh, take care and bye for now. See you later. Thank you.